Well, it's good to be with you this morning. We've had a rich time of worship as we have sung the Word, we've read the Word, we've prayed the Word, we've seen the Word and the ordinances, and now we're going to preach the Word. And with that, I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans is in the New Testament. We are in Romans chapter 5. So if you can find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you'll turn to Romans. If you're new with us here, we, we typically preach through books of the Bible. We work through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and where the Lord has us this morning is in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And I'm going to begin our time by reading this passage, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word In your lap, you can look up on the screen and follow along as I read. Scripture says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many." And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In 2005, then-Secretary of the State Condoleezza Rice spoke against several outposts of tyranny throughout the world. And by this phrase, she referred to those countries ruled under totalitarian regimes, societies who had a culture of fear. Among these, she included North Korea, Cuba, Iran, and regions throughout the Middle East. And she went on to explain that the world should apply a, a litmus test to determine if they are a tyrannical society. <clears throat> and this test is the town square test, as she called it. And it goes as this, if a, if a person cannot walk in the middle of the town square and express his or her views without fear of arrest, imprisonment, or physical harm, then that person is living in a fear society. 
not a free society. She says that such places that exemplify such a tyranny not only steal the freedom of those who are under their rule, but they threaten the freedom of the rest of the world. Well, it's been 12 years, and not much has changed. In fact, one could argue that instability around the world is expanding as new threats seem to surface, and tensions continue to escalate around the world. While such threats are real, they aren't really unique to our time. Wars, rumors of wars, nations rising against nation, civil war within nations, and tyranny, suppressing and treating people unjustly, have characterized our world throughout history. And really, there is no sign of that changing anytime soon. And if world history is so grim, and our future seems gloomy, well, what hope do we really have? Well, when we come to God's Word this morning, I hope to give us hope. We're going to discover that there is true hope, and we're going to see that it lies in the Scripture. It lies in a person. It lies in grace. And we're going to understand that the The real problems in this world aren't what they seem. Condoleezza Rice was speaking about what we see in the news, tensions escalating. They're merely symptoms of a greater tyrannical threat. See, the conflicts of this world, whether global or the conflicts in your very own life, they're a result of the tyranny of death. The result of what Scripture calls, as we read this morning, the reign of death. However, our passage is going to offer us a sure hope. A hope that we can stand on. A sure hope that says that this reign will find its match. That this reign will end. That this reign will be triumphed by grace. In this passage, we're going to learn that the entire course of human history is determined by two individuals. The entire course of human history is determined by two individuals. The first, Pastor Joshua already mentioned earlier as we were talking about the Lord's Supper, is the man, Adam. He's the first person ever created. He's the first person of this world. And there's a second man, and his name is Jesus. Adam was made from the dust of the earth, for Jesus was not made, but came from heaven. All those who were born of Adam, we're going to see, are going to return to the dust. But all those who are adopted into Jesus' family will be raised to life. In other words, what we are going to see in this passage is that Adam, the first man, He directed human history by bringing in sin and death to the world. It was through him and through his actions that this tyranny took hold. But the second man has come and triumphed over the first Adam. And he brings righteousness and life. So this morning as we approach this text, there's a question that I want us all to ponder. 
is, and this is it, what hope do you have that you will escape death's tyranny? What hope do you have, what are you banking on, that you will escape death's reign in this world? Well, as we study verses 12 through 21 of Romans chapter 5, we're going to see that our only hope is to stand upon the abundant grace of Jesus Christ that has triumphed over this reign which is afflicting mankind. If you were with us last Sunday, we spoke of the hope that is ours, a hope that will not disappoint, a hope that has been poured into our hearts through the, the love of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we see in verse 2 that through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. Well, this morning, Paul is going to unpack for us that verse, that phrase. What is this grace in which we stand? A grace which triumphs over the tyranny of death. And so in order to understand this grace, we must understand the reign of death that occurred in Adam. And that's what we see in verses 12 through 14. Brothers and sisters, friends, the source of humanity's problems go back to the first human being. The first human, the first man created by God, and his name was Adam. Adam simply means man. What a name. Pretty creative. Man, your name is man. Adam. Adam was created by God in, in the very beginning. And God created him by fashioning him out of the dirt of the ground. It's, it's quite a remarkable uh, and, and, and marvelous feat. But if you accept the first verse of the Bible, you can accept this, that in the beginning, God. God spoke the world into being a world that was nothing. And he looked at the ground, and he, he, he picked up the dirt, and the scripture says that he fashioned Adam out of the dirt of the ground. And then God breathed life into his nostrils. From Adam, God took out of his side, his, his rib, some translations say. Uh, the picture is, is that God fashioned, he put Adam back to sleep, and he took the side of Adam, and out of Adam he made woman. Her name was Eve. She's the first woman. And together they were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to populate this earth. And in doing so, they were to rule the world under God's loving rule and authority. They were God's representatives. God's the king. Adam and Eve, you are my servants by which I am going to exercise my rule, my loving care throughout the world. This is what Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 17 says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God had given Adam and Eve full reign in the garden, but as the king, he set forth stipulations. And Adam and Eve were not to break those commands. Their rule was regulated by the God who created them. 
But if you've been around the church, you know this story. You know that things didn't work out. Adam decided to reject God's authority by eating the forbidden fruit. And from this point on, the world would never be the same. And this is what Paul is summarizing when he says in verse 12, sin came into the world through one man. This is how the tyranny of death started. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. So here's the picture. Through Adam and Eve's rebellion, sin entered the world. And as sin entered the world, death spread. Death came into the world, and it spread, Paul says, to all men because all sinned. What is sin? Sometimes people think of sin as merely a mistake. Or sometimes, and, and I think this can be a helpful analogy, it's, it's missing the mark. And, and the picture sometimes uses a, an archer who is targeting a, a, a target with his bow, and he shoots the bow, and the bow and the arrow fall short. But the problem is, is that the Scripture paints a very grimmer picture. We're not aiming for the target. We say, God says, that's the target, and we say, no, it's not. I'm going to shoot at this one. And the thing is, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Sin is rebellion. It's rebellion against the God who created us. More than that, Paul tells us that sin is a force, it's a spirit, it's a ruling power in the world. I want you to consider how Paul speaks of sin being active in the world. It's not a passive agent. Paul says here in verse 12 that sin entered the world. Verse 21 of our passage, it reigns through death. Chapter 6, verse 20 says that sin can be obeyed. Chapter 6, 23, sin pays out wages. If you guys got a job, you got a job, you, you work the job, you get paid, well, sin pays wages. And you know what the wages of sin are? Death. Chapter 7, verse 8, it seizes opportunity. Chapter 7, verse 11, it deceives. Chapter 7, verse 12, it kills. In chapter 7, verse 20, it dwells in people. In other words, sin is portrayed as a villain. And his weapon is death, and his victims are humanity. And sin wrecks havoc through the world. And Paul explains that the powers of sin and death, their co-reign over the world, spread to all humanity. No one's escapes. No one's immune. This means that we are all born under this reign, under this tyranny. And specifically, it means that we're born separated from God with evil hearts resisting God's will for us. <clears throat> In other words, it means we're born spiritually dead. Scripture says you were born dead. What a, what a picture. Most of us think we're born alive. And there's a sense in which we are, but spiritually speaking, we're dead. And how do we live out our dead lives? Well, we follow the course, the path of this world, being guided and directed by our evil passions and lusts. And it's on this basis, Paul says, that all humans now sin. 
Because of Adam bringing sin into the world and death coming through sin, on this basis of this rain which has inflicted all humanity, we all now sin. And now we all die. You and I are rebels. We're rebels with a cause. We're rebels under the tyranny of death. But here's the problem for most of us. Sin deceives, remember? And we don't think we're under the reign of death. We don't, we don't think we're under a tyranny. This is what sin does. It, it says you're actually free, but you're enslaved. Sin deceives and it kills and it numbs our minds and corrupts them so that we don't think this is true. But brothers and sisters, I would offer to you that we know it's true if by nothing else than by our own experience. We feel death's reign in our lives. We feel it. Some of us more than others, but we feel it nevertheless. How do you feel death's presence in your life? Maybe through broken relationships. Death wrecks havoc. Maybe you have missing parents. You only have one parent. Mainly, maybe you don't have friends. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you have constant conflict with people. Makes its presence felt through abuse, drug abuse destroys people and families, sexual abuse, people who take advantage of others, physical abuse, and then there's just physical corruption. Maybe you're sick today. Maybe you're ill. Maybe you have a disease. You feel its grips through poverty. Maybe you're hungry or you feel death's presence because you've recently been to a funeral. If we took time this morning just to have testimony time, we could, we could recount over and over from every single person in this room of how we have felt death's reign. How we have felt death's tentacles reach into our lives and take something we hold precious. We feel it, and it hurts. This week I was reminded of death's reign in, in multiple ways. I'll just share a couple. I went to go visit one of our members who was in the hospital. And in her room, uh, she was sharing a room with another woman. I had their family there. And when I came in, I, I just noticed that they were, they were gathered around her and she did not look well. And I, and I continued to minister to, to our member. And, and, and as I was about to pray... This was Susan Callahan I was praying for. I was with Mike Callahan. He began to tell me what had happened to the woman next to her. She had been shot multiple times by a drive-by shooter. And she was the wrong target. It wouldn't have been good if she was the right target, but she was even the wrong target. She was just a mom. Multiple shots. Death reigns. I know death is reigning in, in many of your lives. Just over the past week, some of you have lost brothers. Some of you have lost children. 
death has struck. And all this brokenness that we feel is because of the reign of death through the rebellion of Adam in the Garden of Eden. That's where it all began. And our first father, he has passed down to us a corrupt nature and a corrupt heart. And so all who are related to Adam, and that's everybody, die. But here's good news. Thanks be to God we're not left to ourselves. A new Adam has come, Paul says. A new representative for humanity has arrived, and he is triumphing over the tyranny of evil. And I speak here of the the glorious triumph of the grace in Christ. The triumph of the grace of Christ he begins to speak of in verses 5 through or 15 through 17. But before we jump there, look at this phrase that he has right at the end of verse 14. Speaking of Adam, he says he was a type of the one to come. Adam was a type of the one to come. What does he mean by that? Adam was a representative of the human race. And he prefigured a new Adam, a new representative of the human race who was to come. Better yet, this new Adam was going to create a new humanity. A new humanity who would fulfill God's intention for mankind to rule and to care for this world. This second Adam is Jesus. So what we mean by when we say he's the the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and what we're going to see is that this Messiah is far superior and far greater because he comes to undo the havoc that the first Adam brought. He comes to set things right. He comes to bring justice, to offer, get this, the gift of life. And in verses 15 through 17, we see three ways that Jesus is the better Adam. First, the grace of Christ is far more dynamic than the sin of Adam. Now keep in mind here, one man has set the trajectory of human history, the new man has reversed it. Adam's action bestowed death upon the world. It's static. One act brought death to the whole world. But Jesus comes, the new and and greater Adam, the, the one who triumphs over grace. And how does he triumph? Well, Jesus not only does away with death by his resurrection, but he restores what has been destroyed by death. It's not just like mixing two drinks. So you, you've got a, a drink with some dark substance or with poison, and you've got some pure water, and you pour it in. No one in the right mind would say, okay, well, that cleansed that water. No, that, the evil thing would have contaminated what was pure. But it's the other way around with Jesus. Throughout the gospel stories, you see him defying or, or showing this embodiment in his person. People who were lepers, these are people with a terminal disease by which their nervous system was no longer working. And when your nervous system no longer works, you can't feel pain. You might think, well, that's a good thing. No, it's really bad. Because pain is an alarm system for your body so that when your hand's burning, you know, pull it out of the fire. Well, a leper doesn't know that. They don't feel it. So lepers, literally, their bodies began to decay. They were the stench of death. 
and people didn't want to be around them because they were filthy. And people thought, if you touch me, my skin's going to turn out like yours, falling off. You know what Jesus did? He touched them. And the crowds went, <gasps> You know what happened? They were made clean. And Jesus remained clean. Jesus is the far greater Adam. Adam brought lepers about. Jesus heals the lepers. Adam brought sin and death, and Jesus raises the dead. His good friend Lazarus dies, and he's been in the tomb for three days, and Jesus' friends are weeping, and Jesus comes, and he weeps, and he says, and he prays to the Father, Lord, I I thank you that your glory is getting ready to be on display. And he says, open up the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is wrapped up like a mummy, bouncing out. <laughs> he says, take off his bandages. Adam put Lazarus in the tomb. Jesus raised him from the tomb. Paul says elsewhere, for in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ took death on and he won. At Jesus' death on the cross, that was the end of death. And so grace, the grace found in, in Jesus will undo the brokenness of Adam's sin. Christ's grace, the grace that triumphs over sin, is more dynamic. The grace of Christ is also far more powerful than the sin of Adam. Look in verse 16. We read that Adam's one sin brought judgment and condemnation upon every individual. Not merely did Adam's action wreak havoc in the world, but the judgment for his action was that all men and women will now be judged because they're now sinners. God is holy and righteous and good and pure, and he will not let sin into his presence. And the result of Adam's sin is that he brought condemnation upon all humanity. But I want you to see that Jesus' one act of righteousness, his act of obedience on the cross, it didn't bring condemnation, but what do we see here? But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Jesus' one act of righteousness brought the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' work on the cross cleanses your sin and makes it white as snow. All the guilt and the shame, the things that you would never want anybody to know about you because you know it's wicked or because you know it makes you unclean Jesus wipes it clean Adam's act brought condemnation Christ's act on the cross brought forgiveness and exaltation grace of Christ has the power to overcome our guilt and our shame and this occurred through his obedience to the Father by going to the cross. 
And this power that comes through the gospel abounds over and over and over and over again. And it's occurring right now as we are meditating and thinking upon the gospel. It is fortifying the hope that we have that we are now made righteous in Jesus Christ. You might be visiting with us, uh, uh, Jeff High, but I want you to know we're all a mess. We're a bunch of rebels who are a mess. And that's why we sing only songs about Jesus' glory and splendor and goodness and love towards us. Because we know that there is no hope in ourselves. There is only hope in the power of Jesus Christ to cleanse us of our sin. Grace is also far more successful than the sin of Adam. Adam brought the reign of death, but it was for a limited time. Even now, we feel the presence of death. But we know that this presence has a limit. It will not last forever. But Jesus, verse 17, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Life is going to reign for eternity. So death has a limit. The end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation There's the picture of the lake of fire. You know what's thrown in the lake of fire? Not only those who rebel against the Lord and who have not trusted in Christ, but death itself is thrown in the lake of fire. Death has an end. Here's the difference between the Christian, the one who follows Jesus, and the one who doesn't. For the Christian, death is not the end. But for the one who does not know Christ, death is all you will know for eternity. But Christ, who is the one who was buried in the grave and rose again, those who are in Christ, who have been adopted into his family by faith in him, will know eternal life and will be raised from the dead. That's the hope. And it's far more successful because that reign of life will last forever. Yes, in this life we all will taste death, but only those who have put their trust in Christ will be rescued from it. In other words, if you do not trust and follow Jesus, death will have the final say in your life. But if you accept the grace of Christ, the gift of life that has been portrayed here, then death will not have the final say. In this world, death reigns, and we all know it. We feel it. But in the world to come, life reigns. And Jesus is the new Adam who is coming, and he's redeemed a people for himself to dwell in that new world. Why would you settle for anything less? Why would you settle for the world that continues to hurt over and over and over again? Everything good, as sometimes people say, this is why we can't have nice things. Everything good seems to be corrupted. You can know this even in the best of things of this world, the best meal that you've ever had. I mean, that first bite is money, isn't it? Whatever it is, oh, and maybe you savor that cheeseburger or that pizza or whatever it is, that dish that you just love when you're treating yourself. But you know what? If you order it again right after you finish the first meal, it just doesn't taste as good. If you ever eaten so much, you say, I think I'm going to be sick. Why? Because death reigns. And you know it. It reigns. But in Christ, 
I know that that bite of my cheeseburger is just a glimmer of hope of the greatness that will be in the new world where food will not rot and decay. I've literally eaten into a burger, and when I bit in it, I saw a worm come out the top of that bread. That day won't happen in the new world. Here's the good news, verses 18 through 21. We reign. The reign of life is in us. The reign of life is in us. Not because of us, but because of Christ. That's what he says at the end of verse 17. Through the one man, Christ, the abundance of grace has has been given through the free gift of righteousness, the reign of life through the one man, Jesus. And he goes on and he summarizes So as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Do you see the difference? Adam's work, his disobedience made you and I rebels. But Christ's work makes us righteous. Righteous just means pure, justified, forgiven. It works life in us. The first Adam did not bring this reign of life, but brought death, making all of us sinners. But Jesus, the new Adam, the representative of the redeemed humanity, brought forgiveness and life to all who trust him. This is why he says this peculiar phrase in verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Paul says this is why God gave the law. Now, you might say, what's the law? The law, you could just think of it, and I think for helpful in this case, just think of the Ten Commandments. Here's the Ten Commandments. You shall not worship any other gods. Money, fame, sex, sports, whatever it is that you give priority to over the Lord who created you. Second commandment, you shall not make any graven image of God. You might not bow down to an idol that you fashion, but you may fashion an image of God in your head of who you think he is, and he's contrary to the word. That is breaking the commandment. You shall not use the Lord your God's name in vain. That is claiming to be a follower of Christ, claiming to be a follower of God, but denying him by your life. Keep the Sabbath. This has some interesting uh, setting for us as Christians today, but in the Old Testament, setting aside a day of worship and rest, trusting that God will bless your efforts through the week and worshiping him for all that he's given you. All these first five commandments are about worshiping God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The latter five, honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. That is to lie. Or you shall not covet. That is to lack gratitude for what you have. Our failure to love God manifests itself in the failure to love others. And so we lie, cheat, and steal to get what we want. And we've all done it. And Paul says that the law came, the law reflects the righteous character of God, and what it does is it exposes us for the frauds that we are. 
It shows us, as you hear, hear those commandments, I'm guilty, 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 guilty. It's all it does. Actually, it does more. Paul says, it not only says that you're guilty, it increases your trespass, verse 20. It increases it. Well, how does that work? Well, I'll give you an illustration. When I was 13, this is B.C., okay, this is before Christ, so just clarifying. Me and my friends decided we were going to go pick up some tobacco product. We are going to get some cigarettes, and we were going to get some dip. You know, the problem is we were 13. So we go to the gas station, and we find somebody who's willing to buy the goods for us. And so we wait out there, and he, we give him our list, and he, he buys it all. We give him the money, he buys it all, and brings it out to us. Right as we're getting these things, a man comes out of his car and runs up to us, throws out his badge, and says, I'm a police officer, let me have those. He takes the bag, he throws it in the trash, and he says, you wait right here, and he went to go get the other guy. The law came. And of course, we, we said, yes, sir, and we stood right there and waited for him to come back and tell us what to do. No. When he turned around, we looked at each other, we ran to that trash can, grabbed what we wanted, we hopped the fence, jumped in, and ran across the interstate and went back to our hotel room. We ran. Where sin, where the law came, sin increased all the more. Well, that's the same way when we come encounter with God's law. The brokenness that sin has brought through Adam toward us, when we see the law, we run. There's this grace that abounds all the more. You might think of it the super abounding grace. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more, he says. Towards who? Towards us who believe. So I'm not accountable anymore for that. Amen. That sin is wiped clean. This is the truth we find in our passage, where sin abounded in our lives, leading us down the path of death. Grace superabounds through Jesus Christ, leading to eternal life. And by that life, he means resurrection, brothers and sisters. He has to raise us from the dead, which gives him all the glory, so that grace might reign. God has let sin wreak havoc in our life so that we would no longer look to ourselves as a solution for our wholeness, our peace, our hope. And a failure to do that is insanity. Because today you will leave and you will taste death again. And you will taste it tomorrow and the next day. In some days it's going to punch you in the face. And the fool says, I can endure it. And death will come again till it puts you six feet under. But where grace comes, we hear the message of life and we receive it. Say, no more for me. I'm done getting punched in the face. Or I'm done getting punched with the face without knowing that I'm going to be resurrected. And so now... When we hear God's word, the spirit of God has worked in us. Grace is reigning in our life. We hear God's word, and if you're a believer, you've run to it. 
you don't run from it. You say, I want to be a part of this. I don't want to be anywhere else. I'm done with associating with the world that only brings death. I want to be part of the world to come. Pastor Joshua mentioned it today, that we as the church are just an outpost. We're just a lighthouse. We're an embassy of of the new heavens and the new new earth to come that is just sitting here saying, hey, the gates are open, come in here. Where there's life and the hope of resurrection. And so if you're here today and you do not know Christ, or you've been taking the name of the Lord God, your God in vain by saying, oh, I'm a Christian, but you're never here, or you're never worshiping, and you hate his law, open up your eyes to see the grace that has come. If you are a Christian, for those of us who follow Jesus, our hope is in this grace that has triumphed over, over death. It is not in ourselves. This is a grace that has abounded over our abundant sin and rebellion, which we can keep on going. I got more stories like the ones I shared. And this grace is going to lead to our resurrection. Brothers and sisters, we're just trophies of God's grace, victories over death, because there's no reason Chase Sears should be standing in the pulpit preaching the gospel of life to you, because I was dead, running hard, and he spared me, and he spared you. But for those who reject this grace, there's no hope of escaping, because in Adam, all die. Just a moment, we're going to sing a wonderful song, and I invite Chris and the music team to come up. A song about God's marvelous grace. And this grace is for all who believe. Remember, tribe, tongue, nation, and people. No matter how much money's in your bank account, where you grew up, this grace is for all. And if you do not yet believe, why not? If you have not received this grace, why not? So I beg you this morning not to spurn the grace of God in your life any longer. If you want to come to Christ, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, stop running away, and come to the Savior, I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Joshua and myself will be down front here at the end of the service after we sing this song. Don't leave here today under the reign of death. The keys have been given to unlock those shackles. And you can run, and you can, you can have the, know the freedom of the reign of grace through Jesus Christ. Let us stand and let's pray, and then let us sing of God's marvelous grace. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for not leaving us to ourselves. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, You mercied us. You opened up our eyes and you called us to yourself. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you, who thinks they have freedom but are living under the tyranny of death. Lord, I pray that you would open them from those shackles. Open up their eyes. Open up their ears. Open up their heart that they may confess you as Lord. And Lord, as your church... May we go out from here today standing in the grace that we have access by faith in. The reign of grace that means we stand in life, in righteousness. And may we be faithful, Lord, to carry this message to all we come encounter with.
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.